Um, I'm just excited today. Our good friends are here from RLA Restoration, uh, Jody and Vanessa. Jody's going to bring a word, and I just, um, he's not, we, we, we look alike today. We dress the same today, yeah, just minus the beard maybe. Um, but I'm just excited for what God has for us. Are you excited? Amen? All right, so give God a hand for, for Jody. He's bringing the word. Yeah, that wasn't planned, but I think I'm going to try to come up with a plan so we can, like, be each other's stunt doubles. So if uh, Mario, like, wants a vacation and you guys won't let him off, like, I can just come and fill in for him and you guys wouldn't know the difference. Um, so, hey, my wife's here, Vanessa. I'm going to ask her just to come and greet you guys if that's okay. So we we believe in, in ministry and in partnership, and so she is uh, um, my teammate and so this is Vanessa. Hi, good afternoon. Um, it's such a privilege to be here today. I don't think we've ever been here together. We've been here separate maybe? We've been here together? No, not up here. Yeah, um, but yeah, thanks for having us. I just really enjoy this church. Worship is always wonderful. Um, you see like the gifts of different churches and when you come here you just, I'm kind of just like swallowed up by his presence and so it's such always just, um, I always look forward to coming and just being with you guys and fellowshipping with you. So thanks for having us. Thank you. So it, it is a privilege to be here. Uh, I, I don't count this as uh, something light that someone's allowed me to minister to, to their people. Uh, I know Mario and Cynthia um, treasure this church, which means they treasure you. And they wouldn't let just anyone come up here and, and, and preach. And um, so I, I do count it a privilege. Uh, if I say anything that is counter to what uh, Grace and Love believes, which I don't think I will at any, in any way, shape, or form. But just so you know, Mario has full authority to correct anything I say because I am an outside gift that you guys have invited in. And so uh, we believe in the authority of, of eldership and pastors who lead a church. And so um, we are under their authority as well being here. So thank you guys for having us. Um, it's, it's awesome. We, we love Grace and Love Church. Um, so we, we're in East L.A., just, just up the road. Our church is called Restoration L.A. But I promise you, you can ask my wife, and if people tell us they're from Montebello, we tell them, you need to go to Grace and Love Church. Uh, and we know that you guys are just down the road from us, but we believe in this church. We believe what God is doing in this church is significant. Uh, we believe that what God is doing in this church um, is very uh, I don't want to say peculiar, but that is the word. But it, it's, it's, yeah, but it, it, it is peculiar to who you are because I think each church has a spiritual DNA that God uh, begins to cultivate in the birthing stage of a church. And so when grace and love was planted before you even took formation, God knew what this beautiful local church was going to look like. And I think one of, those, one of those things is worship that God has just placed on, on this church. I mean, I'm telling you, I, I can take your worship team probably anywhere with me uh, when, I, when I'm able to minister at other places and be able to blow people's socks away with the worship that God has blessed this church with. Um, and I, I love the worship here. And, 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 but here's what's significant about that. You know, we think about the giftings of church and we think about what we're called to be and we get so consumed with, with being the church and doing church and building church. When you think about how worship affects us as creation, um, Worship is eternal. So when you think of when we're in the presence of God and we're worshiping, that, that's probably one of the most eternal things we're, we're ever going to be doing. 
because I'm, I'm a pastor here on earth. When I get to heaven, when we're in heaven, I'm no longer going to be a pastor. How many of you guys know that? Because there's only one chief shepherd in heaven, and his name's Jesus, right? There's no longer going to be a need for me. There's no longer going to be prophets who are going to be prophesying because Jesus is going to be speaking to us directly. Uh, there, there's no longer going to be these things that we have here in the church that the Lord has instituted, but this thing of worship will continue. And, and I think that that's what's so significant about of having a heart of worship and, and what you guys have tapped into is precious. And so, uh, honestly, we, we enjoy the worship here. Um, and, and I really think that with, that with that worship thing, I know it's, it's probably a bit of your identity of who you are. But what it is is it's pointing people to Jesus. It's bringing people into the presence of God. But it's even more than that. When we look at the Old Testament, and we see the people of God going into war. Have you ever read the passage when they sent the worshipers before the, the, even the army was sent? Right? And so we can be so consumed with being the army. And I want to be the army. And, and I, I served in the Marine Corps. So I'm like, sometimes I get militant. Like, I want to I do things for God. I want to bust heads for God. I want to do things like that. Right? Um, and, and when we think about this thing of worship, that when we allow the presence of God to go before us, that most of the time busting heads isn't even necessary because the presence of God has just gone. And so, anyways, that's not what I'm preaching about. That one was for free. You guys get that? And so now you can start my preaching clock. So Mario said I had 35 minutes. I can't, no, he was, he was free. So thank you guys. Um, what, what I want to speak to um, Grace and Love about today is um, I've titled this message Reclaiming the Lost. And so um, I... As, as a friend of this church and as a friend of Mario and Cynthia, I know that the sheep, the, the people, the children of God that are in this place are, are well cared for. Now, now you, you might think like, well, Mario can you know, pay a little more attention to me. You know, that would be helpful if he met with me like every other day because, you know, I have needs. Um, now, that, that's, that, that could be an expectation and, and sometimes when we're walking with certain people in different stages of their life, they need a lot of attention, and that's great. I, I know that the shepherds in this church love, love you guys, and I know that they'll, they'll give, give up everything to be with you. And, and that's part of who we are as a church. The church is where, where the lost come to gather and, and come to be equipped for the works of service. We read that in Ephesians 4, right, and in, that God gave gifts to the church and those gifts were given to the church to do what? To equip her for the works of service. Which means that every one of us who is here right now, listening to what God has to say to us, should be understanding that we are in an equipping session. That right now we are being equipped for the service that God has called us to. And so the thing that I know God has called each and every one of us to universally is reclaiming the lost. Now, I know that there's different giftings in the room. I know some of us functions in different areas of spiritual gifts, and some of us might be preachers, some of us might be teachers, some of us might be um, gifts, have gifts of encouragement, some of us might have gifts of, of generosity, some of us might have prophetic giftings and, and, and speak words of encouragement, edification, comfort of people. Some of you might get words of knowledge, words of wisdom, and so we understand all those giftings. But when we think about the thing that we have been called to as a church, as the church together, is to seek and save the lost, right? And so um, there's a portion of scripture I want to read over us, and then we'll get a little bit into what I'm speaking about of reclaiming the lost. Is that okay? 
Okay, so if you have your Bibles, you can turn to John chapter 17. So if I'm reading right, it should take me about three minutes to read this passage. It's a lot of verses, and so I don't want you to be overwhelmed, but I just want to cover us with this before we get into it. Is that okay? All right, so I'm going to pray before I read. So Jesus, we, we come before you as, as sons and daughters. And Lord, we, we ask that as we engage your word, as we dive into scripture, that you begin to reveal to us your heart for the lost God. Now, I, I know, Lord, anyone who's been in church for any small amount of time knows that there's a responsibility of evangelism, knows that there's a responsibility of, of touching others with your gospel. But, Lord, I just pray that in this time together today, Lord, that there be a revelation of the weight that you put on the lost. Lord, I, I ask that as, as you are teaching us, Holy Spirit, as you teach us, you're the greatest teacher of all. As you begin to unlock things through scripture and through your promptings, I ask that, that an urgency be stirred in each of us. That this, this thing of, of reclaiming what has been lost isn't, isn't something for the leaders and the evangelists amongst us, not those who are just comfortable with preaching the gospel. This is the great commission, which includes every one of us. You are mobilizing your church. So teach us, Lord. Teach us today. Not, not just words of, 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 so that we can understand it, but, Lord, we want to akuo your word, meaning we want to hear it with the intent on acting on what we hear. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. John chapter 17, I'll start with verse 1. I'm reading from New American Standard if, if, um, if you guys are following along. So it says, Jesus spoke these things. And lifting up his eyes to heaven, he said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that the son may glorify you. Now, how many of you know that Jesus' heart was to always bring glory to the father? So Jesus said, glorify me so that I can bring glory to you. Even as you gave him authority over all flesh, that to all whom you have given him, he may give eternal life. This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Now, how many of you know it's not enough just for us as Christians to know Jesus? How many of you know that there's a whole other side of that, of making Jesus known? See, followers of Jesus should have an urgency to make other followers of Jesus. So the, 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 the response of anyone who loves the Lord and knows the Lord is to make him known. Right? Like, who doesn't want to let everyone know about this Jesus you serve? Let, let's go back to your dating days. You remember when you got your first boyfriend or your first girlfriend? And I mean, unless you're one of those really cool guys, you told everybody, right? Oh, guess, guess who I'm seeing? That was the word when I was dating. That was, I'm seeing someone. Guess who I'm seeing, right? You're just excited. You want everyone to know. We're speaking about the King of Kings. We're speaking about the Savior who has transformed our lives, who should be the most exciting thing about who we are as Christians. He's who defines us. He's the one that we should be making known to the world around us. This is what Jesus is, is, is provoking here, right? This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I have glorified you on the earth, having accomplished the work which you have given me to do, now, Father, glorify me with yourself 
with the glory which I had with you before the world was. And so Jesus was, was speaking about him and his father's eternal dwelling together way before he ever came to the earth saying, Father, as I go back to you and you and I are sharing that eternal glory once again, Lord, we want to share this thing with your creation, with your sons and daughters on the earth. I have manifested your name to the men whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours and you gave them to me and they have kept your word. Now they have come to know that everything that you have given me is from you. From the words which you gave me, I have given to them, and they received them and truly understood that I came forth from you, and they believed that you sent me. Lost my place. I ask on their behalf, I do not ask on the behalf of the world, but on those whom you have given me, for they are yours. And all things that are mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I have been glorified in them I am no longer in the world, and yet they themselves are in the world, and I come to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, the name which you have given me, that they may be one even as we are. While I was with them, I was keeping them in your name, which you, gave, which you have given me, and I guarded them, and not one of them perished, but the son of perdition, so that the scripture would be filled, fulfilled. And I was speaking of Judas. Uh, but now I come to you, and these things I speak in the world so that they may have my joy made full in themselves. And I have given them your word. The word, I'm sorry, the world has hated them because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I do not ask you to take them out of the world, but keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For their sakes, I sanctify myself, that they themselves also may be sanctified in truth. And then listen to this, church. Verse 20. I do not ask on behalf of these alone, but for those, hear me now, who will believe. Those who believe in me in their word, that they may all be one, even as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you sent me. Amen. So when we, when we read this in context, we can very easily as saints remove ourselves and say, well, Jesus was speaking about the original 12 disciples. But Jesus' prayer was for those who would come into the fellowship. I love one John, in, in 1 John when, when um, John the Apostle is writing to the reader. And, and he says, listen, we want you to come into fellowship with us. Because we have fellowship with God the Father and Jesus the Son. And so there's this understanding that we are inviting people into something that is far greater than just us. And I think, unfortunately, the church can become guilty of preaching the church and no longer preaching Jesus. No longer preaching the one who we've been called into fellowship with. The one that we've been called to become one with. And so when we make the church the primary thing, then Jesus becomes secondary. And how many of you know that just can't be so? We, we're actually worshiping the gift instead of the gift giver, right? And so evangelism has been, been relinquished to inviting people to church. Now, how many of you know that that, that could be the, the seeds and the inkling of evangelism? But how many of you know that inviting them to church is just a very minuscule step to what we're really taught? really called to do 
which is draw people into fellowship with Christ, which comes through salvation, which comes through repentance and all the other things that most of us should understand, right? So this thing of those uh, who also will believe, right, is, 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 is this coming of those who are being added to the church. And how many of you know that it is the Lord's will that people be added to the church? I, I was speaking tomorrow. We had coffee the other day. Um, and we, we were just going, uh, talking, uh, talking about Acts and the devotion that the early church had. And so the church was so devoted to, like, the apostles' teachings. And uh, they, were, they were devoted to, uh, to prayer. They were devoted to um, gathering and, and sharing meals. They were devoted to the Lord's Supper. They were devoted to going to the temple daily, right? We see all these things that they were devoted to. And through the devotion of the church, what do we see as, as the fruit of that? The Lord added to the church daily, right? The Lord added to the church daily. And I think what has happened is the church can become so consumed with taking the Lord's place of building the church that we leave the disciple, discipling of the nations to the Lord. When Jesus said, I will build my church, you disciple the nations, right? You go make disciples. I will build a church. But we're the church and we say, no, we want to build a church. You disciple the nations, and we, we, we can't get that, get that mixed up. We have to stay the course of what God has called us to. Jesus said, I will build my church, right? Some plant, some water, but God brings the increase. He will build the church. We be faithful to what he's called us to, which is preach the gospel, make disciples of the nations. Amen? Romans chapter 10, verse 13, it reads like this. For whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Amen? How many of you have called on the name of the Lord? I know I have, right? So, so those of us who, who, who are in, right, we understand this. How then will they call on him who they have not believed? Right? So if you don't believe, how will you call on him? Right? It's only something you really believe is out there that you're actually going to call. When you need to be saved, you better know who you're calling on. Because if you're calling on something you don't believe in, then you're really not sure that thing's coming. Right? And so it's, in, unless you believe, you can't call. So how will they believe in him who they have not heard? And how will they hear without a preacher? And how will they preach unless they are sent? Just as it is, it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of good things. And how many of you know that good thing is Jesus? The good news of Jesus Christ. It's his good news, right? It's great news, right? And unfortunately, I think the church has resulted in... Not the church, but some, some, some of our family members have resulted into not preaching the good news. I'm hearing a whole lot of bad news, right? Repent or you'll go to hell. Now, that's a truth. But how many know that's not good news? <laughs> right? The good news is believe and you will be saved. Believe and you will be saved. It's not just get this get out of hell free card. I want to get into eternity with Jesus card. That's what I want. I want the good news. Right. And so we, now we have this great commission and I'm not going to preach on the great commission, but we, we know, I mean, how many of you know what the great commission is? Right. Matthew uh, chapter 28. Right. It, it, it's such a privilege that I think that we we neglect so much as saints is to be on a co-mission with Jesus. We are on a co-mission with Jesus. We are on mission with him. I mean, I don't, I don't know if you've ever been on a mission. I mean, maybe back when you weren't serving Jesus, you and. Your boys went on missions, and I don't know what that meant for you, but I know what that meant for me. But to be, to 
on a mission with Jesus? To, to have Jesus tap me on the shoulder and say, hey, let's go on a mission. It, it's the privilege of my life. It should be the privilege of our life that we are in a co-mission with him. And somehow I think we, we get so comfortable in this Christian living that we're living is that we think that he's on a co-mission with us. We think he's in the passenger car, right? It's like, Jesus, take the wheel. He should have already had the wheel. He should have already been in the driver's seat, and we should be the one with our seatbelts on going, okay, Lord, that's, you're going a little fast right now. He's the pilot. We're the co-pilot. He's not the co-pilot. He should be steering and navigating us um, through this life that he's called us to, right? We are on mission with Christ, and that mission is to make disciples, right? But you can't make a disciple unless someone first believes, and that, uh, that, that preaching of the gospel, I mean, I know when you say, pre- as soon as you say preacher, most people just check out, right? I'm not a preacher. Preaching is just proclaiming the good news. How many of you can tell the good news story of Jesus Christ? How many of you could share your testimony about what Christ has done with, for you? Now, maybe you don't have a good testimony. I know for many years in my walk with Christ, I didn't have a good testimony. My testimony was horrible. I grew up in the church. My dad was a pastor. I hated the church. This was wrong with them, and this was wrong, and that was wrong. I didn't have a good testimony until I grabbed a hold of my relationship with my Savior and my King, and I began to take responsibility for my walk with Jesus that I was able to say, whoa, time out. Jesus has done this for me doesn't matter what he did for them or what they did to me or any it, it matters this walk that I have with him and being on a mission with Jesus is 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 the privilege of my life it should be the privilege of our life right so we, now we get to make disciples now we get to walk people into fellowship with him we get to baptize these new believers signifying their death and resurrection in him right teaching them to obey all that he commanded how many of you know that's not an easy thing to teach people to obey if you have kids you know what i'm talking about then you just put that in context with grown people as soon as you say obey people are like out of here obey yeah kick rocks not obeying anything Listen, obeying Jesus is, 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 it is freedom. But I'm telling you, we need to lead people to the well. Their obedience is not our responsibility. We, can, we need to teach them obey. We can't force them to obey. And I think that's the problem with most of us shepherds. We're just trying to force them to obey. Like, listen, you, you teach them to obey and then let God deal with the rest, right? So listen, so we have to come to, the, to understanding that God has given us no other mission. Tell your neighbor, God hasn't given you another mission. There, there is no other mission that he's given us. The great commission and the two great commandments and the, the dance that they do together, that God has put us on mission. And while we're on mission with Jesus, we are loving God with everything that we have, right? The first great commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength, right? And then the second great commandment is to do what? To love people in the same way. And so while we're loving God with all we have and while we're loving Jesus, I mean, um, people with all we have, we're on mission with Jesus. And that's how the two great commandments and the great commission work in tandem together. And I know that sounds like a little simple, right? Like, okay, so I got one mission and two commandments. Like, that's it? Yeah, that's how Jesus simplified it. Because he knew how hard it was going to be for us. But because of the cross... Because of the cross and the grace of God that has been poured out to us, we 
get to walk in victory as we do it. Isn't that awesome? And we've we got to stop beating up ourselves. and oh, It's too hard and we're going to fail. No, we have the grace of God, not just the unmerited favor, but that grace that actually empowers us to do the job. Amen. So if you if you've hung out with Pastor Mario for um, the last season, you'll you should know John chapter six, verse 40. Right. And so so I remember when when Mario and I were like texting back and forth about, you know, he's just like, man, John chapter six, verse 40. Like it's it's like messing with me, like in a good way. Right. And this is this is that verse for this is the will of my father. Right. And this is Jesus speaking. So when we think about, I want to know the will of God, like I hear people all the time, I want to know the will of God for my life. This is the will of God, right? John 6, 40, it says, for this is the will of my father, that everyone who beholds the son and believes in him will have eternal life. And I myself will raise him up on the last day, right? That's the will of God. The will of God is that everyone will behold his son, Jesus, that they will believe in Jesus and that that belief will will translate into eternal life with our heavenly father for eternity. That's his will that no man should perish. Right. It's not God's will that anyone should perish. And so I, when you run into some of those people who, who are arguing scripture and arguing like the 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 the. the the place of God in, in the universe. And well, if God's such a good God, then why is he sending people to hell? And why do bad things happen to good people? And, and when we read things like this, and this begins to become part of our spiritual DNA, and like, no, you know what? It's not God's will that people are going to hell. It's not his will. And it's not God's will that bad things are happening to good people. It just so happens that bad people are doing bad things to bad people because those bad people refuse to surrender to a good God. Right. And so we, 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 we have to come to grips with some of these things as we're engaging the lost. The value of the lost, I think, needs to be rebranded on the Christian heart. The value of the lost. And so if you have it, just like Matthew 640 has 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 done, you know, this turning for 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 Mario. Luke chapter 15, seven has done the same for me. And if you guys have your Bibles, you can turn to Luke 15, seven. It says this. It says, I tell you that. In the same way, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who need no repentance. Did you just hear that? Did you read that? Let me read it to you again, because this thing really messes with me, especially as a pastor. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more joy. Can you say more joy? There will be more joy in heaven over one sinner, say one sinner, one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Now, I've read that verse many times, and we're going to read it in its context, Luke chapter 15. But when you read that and you hear that there is more joy in heaven when sinners come to repentance than over the 99 who need no repentance, that makes me sit back and think, okay, Lord. So that you're telling me that there is more value on the sinner's life right now than there is on the saints. Now, now hear me. Not God's love, not your, your complete value to him, but the urgency of that lost soul's life. 
It doesn't say it's contrary to what we believe. It doesn't say there is more joy in heaven when you show up to church on time on Sunday than any sinner who walks in the door. I think we feel like that, right? Man, I made it to church on Sunday. Cha-ching. All heaven's rejoicing because I made it to church on Sunday two weeks in a row. Boom. How you like that, Pastor Mario? Two weeks. More joy in heaven when one sinner comes to repentance than over. And listen, I don't think it's talking about the religious. I think it's talking about the righteous, us, those of us who are in right standing with God because of Jesus. That there's more joy in heaven for the one sinner who comes to repentance. And for me as a pastor, that messes me up because it's my job to care for the people who God has given me. All right, we, we have, you know, so many people in our church, and it's my job as a shepherd to love and care for them and point them towards Jesus. And when they have needs, if I can meet them, I will. If I can't, I'm pointing them right back to Jesus. Like, it, it's, 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 that's what I do. And so I'm consumed in, in my area of, of service to the church to care for those people. But here in Luke 15, Scripture says that there's more value for those who are outside of our walls than those who are inside of our walls. Because why? Because those who are inside of our walls, at least we know when they take their last breath here on this earth, they're going to be with God. Those outside of our walls, when they take their last breath on on this earth, we don't know. There could be an alternative eternity for them, which is a scary thing. And that place is called hell. And it's real, and we need to stop pretending like it's not. Luke chapter 10, verse 15. If you guys know this portion of scripture, it's, it's um, the value of the lost, right? Tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. Whoa. That would be kind of cool, huh, Mario? If, like, Drug addicts and prostitutes flooded our churches just to come and hear us preach. How would you guys feel about that? How would you guys feel of like the homeless and, and, the, and, and, you know, the drunkards just came in and flooded the seats and they were sitting in your favorite spot on Sunday morning. <laughs> they just came and flooded in just to, to hear the teaching of Jesus. You see, when Jesus teaches, those people just, they came to listen, Right? This made the Pharisees and the teachers of religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people. Wow. Jesus associated with sinners. Even eating with them. Now he didn't just associate with them. He ate with them. Right? I hope. Please hear me. Please hear the context. I hope that you still have friends that are sinners. Now, I know that there was a time in my life when I I needed to come to Jesus and I needed to repent. And I really needed to get away from some of those friends who very easily could have drugged me back down with them. I think there was a time in my walk with Jesus that I needed to to stay with with godly people who were going to nurture me and cover me and help me get strong enough. So that when I was able to stand as a Christian, that I could go back into those arenas where my sinful friends needed me. So I, I believe there is a time, but if we are Christians who just live in our little Christian world and, and, you know, it's all about church and every other word we say is brother and amen, like we're living in a box. 
And it's really time for the church to bust outside of that box because this world is desperate. And I pray that you are connecting with sinners in your workplace, in your family, those old friends. Yes, use Facebook, but please use it right. Use it right. There's all kinds of like Facebook theologians and I read stuff. I'm like, whoa, okay. Um, But let's use it right. If we're going to use it, use it as a tool for Jesus, right? So here's Jesus. Jesus told them this story. If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them gets lost, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others in the wilderness and go search for the one that is lost until he finds it? Now, is, is that what we do as a church anymore? Or when, when we see a brother going sideways, we're like, Psh, look at him. He just wants to, sucks to be him, whatever. He'll come back. You know where we're at. I mean, church, hear me. Won't he leave the 99 others in the wilderness and go search for the one that was lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he will joyfully carry it home on his shoulder. And when he arrives, he will call together his friends and neighbors saying, rejoice with me because I have found my lost sheep. In the same way, there will be more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. Verse 8, we see the parable of the lost coin. Or suppose a woman has lost silver, ten, or has ten silver coins and loses one. Won't she light up a lamp and sweep the entire house and search carefully until she finds it? Have you ever lost money? No, have you like lost money? Like I'm not talking about, I mean, lost money to where you were like panic. Like you like just tearing apart the house, yelling at everyone, help me find it. You're just going to sit there. I lost money. I mean, you're just panicked. I mean, lost that kind of money. I've lost that kind of money. It is, it's horrible. It's like the worst thing. I remember when, when I got out of the service, I got my first job and I had all these back pay bills I had to pay. So I, I go to the store. I buy all these money orders to cover all the bills that I hadn't paid. And from the check stand to my truck, I lost those money orders. And they weren't signed or anything. They're all blank because I hadn't filled them out yet. I mean, it was like hundreds. I was freaking out. I was like grabbing people by their shirts and like, you picked it up, didn't you? Like it was, it was not good. <laughs> I didn't find it, right? This woman lost a coin. Here we go. Won't she light a lamp and sweep the entire house, searching carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she will call in her friends and her neighbors and say, rejoice with me because I have found my lost coin. Now, if you're a coin collector, this might bear witness with you. If you're not, you know, most of us don't treat coins like much. But I'm telling you, in this day, a silver coin was everything, right? In the same way, there is joy in the presence of God's angels when even one sinner repents. Now, isn't that precious? I mean, it, us understanding the value of the loss, it has to grip our hearts. We have to understand that God has placed so much value on those who are outside of our walls. And you and I have to come to grips with the fact that this isn't what God has just called us to. He's called us to more. He's called us to more. And I'm not saying we shouldn't be satisfied with what God has given us. But listen, the pressure to grow this church is not on us. Jesus said he will build the church. He's called us to be faithful to evangelism. He's called us to be faithful to seeking out and presenting salvation to the lost. He'll build the church. You guys following along with me? Okay. 1 Peter 3.13 reads like this. Who is there to harm you if you prove to 
if you prove zealous for what is good. But even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you are blessed. And do not fear their intimidation and do not be troubled. But sanctify Christ as Lord in your heart. And hear this. Always be ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you. Let me read that again. Always be ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you. Are, are you ready for that? When Jesus sanctify Christ as Lord of your heart, and if he is Lord of your heart, then you should always be ready to give an account for the hope that is inside of you. Which means day in and day out, you should be ready to present the good news to anyone who asks you. Like, you know, I notice like you don't freak out at work as much as I freak out at work. Like, there's something different. Like, all of us spaz out, and like most people, like, I seen you, like, you made a mistake, and most people would be cussing right about then, and you didn't. Like, what's different about you? Always be ready to give a reason for the hope that is inside of you. Man, I just noticed, like, dude, like, you're going through some serious stuff. Like, I heard about, like, the person in your family who's sick, and, and like, you somehow, like, you're still standing strong. Like, what's, what's different? Always be ready for the hope that's inside of you. Like, I noticed that little weird sticker. is like N-O-T-W on the back of your car. Like, what does that mean? If you're smart, you don't put those things because when you cut people off, you won't lose your witness, but whatever. Um, but, but what does that mean? And we're always ready to give hope. Vanessa, she, on my truck, I have, like, every sticker you can think of, like, a Marine Corps sticker, an L.A. Dodger sticker, uh, a King sticker, a Jesus sticker. I mean, I have, like, all these stickers. Like, so it's, like, all the things that, like, I'm passionate about. But I know that I get in trouble because when people cut me off, it's not fun. Um, anyways, always be ready. Listen to this. Yet with gentleness and reverence. With gentleness and reverence. And I don't know about you, but I've been given the gospel, like, punch throat. Someone want to shove their fist down my throat and pull out my heart and say, give this over to God and then put it back in my chest. You know, like, it, and, and, and I get that. Like some people need a radical encounter with Jesus, but Jesus, let Jesus do the radical part. We need to give it with gentleness and with reverence. Amen. And keep a good conscience so that in the thing in which you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ will be put to shame. So listen, don't, don't the pressure's not on you. The pressure's not on you. We're just to call, called to give the good news. We're called to, to deliver the truth. What they do with the truth is their responsibility. We shouldn't be offended when we're rejected. Our Savior was rejected. Jesus was rejected. The truth, the word in the flesh was rejected. So when we present the words to them and they reject us, we shouldn't feel any Take it personal. And I think we, we, we take it so personal. And so then we, we go recluse and say, no, I've been rejected, so I'm, I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm not going to open myself up to that kind of scrutiny. Jesus was made a mockery of on the cross. He was stripped naked. He was beaten. He was punched in the face. He was, he was drawn to a point where he couldn't even be recognized as a man. That's how far he went. And you and I open up ourselves to a little bit of scrutiny. You and I open up ourselves up by putting Christian on Facebook and we think, oh, I'm going to be persecuted. Now, look, I'm not trying to make lightly of it, but I'm telling you there's so much more to what we're called to. 
We have to get over these small cultural things that are tripping us up. To be Christian is more offensive today than any other time in history. We shouldn't use that as a, as a time to, hey, well, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wait till I build a foundation, then I'll deliver the gospel. Listen, Jesus didn't wait for a foundation. He presented the truth and he let people deal with it. When we see the apostles begin to deliver the scripture, begin to deliver the gospel in Acts, they didn't wait for a relational bridge. They told the truth and let people deal with it. Now, listen, when they come to us and they want to encounter, like, okay, now explain that to me. Now, what are you saying? Then we're able to create that love bridge between us and them and, and not a divide of hate because we're different. All right, I'm going to move on. So listen, if we're going to be effective at reclaiming the loss, we need to understand a few things, okay? So if you're going to take notes today, here, here are some of the points. Number one, we need to recognize that this is paternally provoked, which means this is an act of the Father, when we looked at what Jesus wrote, when we read that first passage, it was, it was all about what his father wanted. Lord, this is your will. Lord, this is what you did. That gospel verse that we used, John 3, 16, it was for God so loved the world that he gave. Right? This was paternally provoked. So we have to understand, this, was, this isn't just something that the church has come up with to recruit new members. This isn't something that your pastors are putting on you just to get more butts in the seats. This is something that Father God has provoked from the beginning, right? Be fruitful and multiply. Let us create man in our image. This is in the beginning, in Genesis. And then what did he do in the New Testament, right? Go into all the world and make disciples and teach them to look like my son Jesus in my image. Be fruitful and multiply. Multiplication is something that the Father has been about since the beginning. And so we need to be about our Father's business. This is paternally provoked. John 3, 34, Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and accomplish his work. Which means my sustenance, my everything is to do what God has asked me to do. And so we need to be about God's work, right? So it's paternally provoked. John, John 6, 39 reads like this. Um, this is the will of him who sent me. And this is going in conjunction with um, the verse we already shared that, um, that Mario had, has been probably cultivating in all of you and me as his friend. This is the will of him who sent me that of all that he has given me, I lose nothing. New Living Translation says not even one, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my father. That everyone who beholds the son and believes in the son will have eternal life. And I myself will raise him up on the last day. So this is doing what God wants us to be doing. This isn't something that we have options about. This is the father's will. And may I add to this is we need to start listening to the Holy Spirit a whole lot more when it comes to encounters. I mean, I know if, if as the Holy Spirit lives in you like he lives in me. And when I'm walking around the world and I hear things that he's saying, hey. Go, go talk to that person. Go pray for that person. And we need to start listening a whole lot more. Because what happens if we start living in a disobedience and we start tuning out the Holy Spirit as he's speaking to us, then eventually that, that voice is going to become unfamiliar to us until it's tuned out altogether. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, ask a husband. Because <laughs> we don't like listening to our wives even though they're right. And so we tune them out, they're right, but we tune them out, and then we tune them out, and then we tune them out, until we're not listening altogether, until we have some kind of 
you know, confrontation, and then we have to start listening again. Husbands know what I'm talking about. They're all saying yes. So listen, okay, so listen, number one is paternally provoked. Are you with me? Number two is people. We're not talking about a, a commodity. We are speaking about precious people. The most precious thing in God's economy is people. We're not dealing with things. We're not dealing with numbers. We are dealing with people, and people can never be numbers. Now, people say, oh, well, numbers don't matter. Well, if numbers matter, if, if numbers are people, then numbers do matter, but it's not about the numbers. You get what I'm saying? It's about people, and people are precious to God. People are what matter to him, and not just church people. The people outside of these walls matter to God. And we need to, to grab a hold of that passion for people like Jesus had a passion for people. Second Peter 3, 9, the Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all, say all, all to come to repentance, right? Who was off limits for Jesus? Think about it. Who was off limits for Jesus? No one was off limits for Jesus. When we see who Jesus uh, touched and encountered when he walked to earth, it was, I mean, the woman at the well. She broke every stereotypical thing that Jesus should have even been affiliating himself with. She was a woman. She was a Samaritan. And she was a woman who was living in adultery. According to religious standards, he had no business even speaking to her. And yet he has this encounter with her. He tells her to draw her some well. He begins to speak prophetically over her life. That thing turns around, oh, I perceive you're a prophet. And oh, is he so much more than a prophet? She had an encounter with the Messiah at a well. And from that one encounter, that woman goes to that town and the whole town gets saved. Come and meet the man who told me everything I've ever done. How many women at the well have you encountered? How many Muslims have you encountered? That we're like. How many people from other sexual orientations have we encountered that we're like. You want to hear a biblical reference? How about the Egyptian eunuch? Philip meets an Egyptian eunuch who has been castrated, who has physically changed himself. He's reading out of Isaiah. Philip said, whoa, hey, do you know what you're reading or who you're reading about? He's like, no, come in here and tell me. He says, let me tell you about this Jesus. That Egyptian comes out of that, that carriage, says, I want this Jesus now. He gets saved and baptized in a matter of minutes. He's like, isn't there water there? Why can't I be baptized now? This world needs those kind of encounters. No one was off limits to Jesus. No one was off limits to the apostles. When we see Peter in, in, in his ministry, do you remember in Acts when Peter um, has an encounter with Cornelius? All right, and this is the next point. The next point is going to be prayer. So, sorry. No. <laughs> yeah, you tell me if time's up. I'll, I'll wrap it up. But listen, so... Cornelius is this Roman soldier, and, and, and he, he, he hasn't had an encounter with Jesus, but the Bible says that he is, is a righteous man. 
So he has a relationship with God. He had converted to Judaism. So he has, he has a relationship with God Yahweh, right? And so he, he's in prayer, and in prayer, God reveals to him that he needs to send for this apostle named Peter because there's about to be a Jesus encounter. And while he's in prayer, Peter's on the flip side, and he's in prayer, and God's dealing with all of Peter's religious baggage, right? And so this Peter falls into a trance. So if you don't believe in, like, trances and, and falling in the spirit, just read Acts. So, right, so, so he falls into this trance, and then the sheet begins to fall down, and all this crazy food and animals are, are presented to Peter. And the Lord says to Peter, eat. And Peter's like, no way, God. I would never eat that stuff. Like, wait, hold on. Uh, um, I just told you to eat. You, you parents know what I'm talking about with toddlers, right? Eat your food. Like, I'm not eating. Eat your food, right? This is what God is having this encounter with Peter. Eat, right? No, God, I'm not going to eat. He goes over this a few times where Peter's like, Lord, I'm never going to touch this unholy food. I'm not going to touch it. I'm not going to eat it. It's unholy for me as a man who come from a Jewish culture to eat that stuff. I'm not going to eat it. But God had to deal with his religious mindsets of not eating unholy food because he needed to have a, an encounter with a man named Cornelius who was a Gentile who he was going to have to probably break bread with and eat a little carnitas with. And so God sends for him. You know, the cops come, pick up Peter, the, the religious the soldiers. They come pick him up, take him over to Cornelius. The whole household gets saved. Cornelius and his household get saved, and then many come to the Lord because of another encounter. So this next thing is we need to be in prayer. We need to be prayerful about the lost and how God wants to use us. We need to allow Jesus to drop us into some trances and tell us, listen, these are the encounters you're going to be having. You need to prepare your spirit. You need to prepare your mind, your heart. You need to prepare your words, right? And even when we don't have the words, we don't have an excuse. How many of you know that? Because the Bible tells us when we don't have the words, the Holy Spirit will give us utterance. He'll give us the words. Have you ever tripped out on yourself when you, like, bring up a verse that you forgot you even knew? Right? You say, you know, someone needs some encouragement, and then you're walking with them, and then you're like, hey, well, well you know what? The Bible says this. And you're like, whoa, Yeah. Sunday school did help me out. That's awesome. So prayer is important, right? And I, I really think that we can fall guilty of either under-spiritualizing evangelism or over-spiritualizing evangelism. Because when we under-spiritualize evangelism, we just think like, yeah, I'll just go out and, you know, if I get the opportunity, I'll share the gospel and we'll just see what happens. Right? That's under-spiritualizing. But over-spiritualizing means like, oh, no, I'm not ready. No way. Like, I, I don't know. I don't have the words to say. Like, we just think we're not adequate. But where when we read back in the Great Commission, Jesus said, all authority has been given to me. Therefore, go. And that therefore means because I've been given all authority, I am now delegating that authority to you. Go in my power and in my might. Isn't that awesome? All authority. So prayer. Prayer is important. Prayer does this. Prayer gets us in a place that we can actually be used for God. Number four is positioning and preparation and prioritizing, right? I know it's three words, but it's all one point, right? How are we cultivating an evangelistic lifestyle in, into who we are? 
Like, how are we cultivating that in our own lives and even in our togetherness? How are we cultivating an each one, reach one mentality in the lives of our churches? Because this isn't just about us. Because if it's just about us, like us who are in the room, like we're in the club, then Jesus, just come and pick us up now. How are we cultivating the each one and reach one? Do I feel a responsibility when I'm, when I'm at home with, with my friends, or, or, you know, watching a football game? Do I feel the responsibility when I'm at a family reunion or at the Thanksgiving table and sharing a meal? Do I feel the responsibility when I'm with my coworkers and I know that they are desperate for this Jesus that I have? And if I feel the responsibility, then how am I positioning myself to be used? How am I preparing myself to be used? And how am I prioritizing the lost in my life? Are you with me? Because what you value, you will prioritize. And if all heaven rejoices when one sinner comes to repentance, then what kind of prioritizing should we be doing here on earth? Even in the church. Are you with me? Last one. No, not last one. I got two more. Um, Number five. Participate and partner, right? We need to participate and partner. We have to agree to partner with Jesus. We have to just come to agreement that we are in partnership with Jesus. This is his thing, and guess what? He has given us a partnership. I mean, do you realize, like, if you've ever been given a partnership in a company? I've never been given a partnership. That means you get, like, privileges. You get benefits. I mean, you get, you're, we're in partnership. What a privilege. We, we have to agree to be in partnership with Jesus. When we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done, we are not asking God for his opinion. Are, are you hearing me? He's already given us what he wants, right? We are asking God for his sovereign will. Lord, I want to be in partnership with you. Lord, I want to categorize my life and the people that are in my life and how you want me to reach them. I'm going to begin to prepare and begin to prioritize. But, Lord, I'm asking for your sovereign will to be done. And I know your will is that not one man should perish. So, Lord, help me reach them. Help me reach them. We need to participate and partner. Why are we surprised when Jesus tells us, go talk to that guy? Why do we, like, get a heart attack in the line at Walmart when Jesus is like, you need to pray for that lady? Like, not here, Lord. <laughs> like, I mean, we really begin to freak out because we, like, it's unexpected. Like, what, like, Jesus wouldn't want us to touch the lady at Walmart? Jesus, I mean, we're in line for a long time as it is, especially if you go to the one in Pico. Like, forget it. It's, like, forever. Like, ugh. You got, I got two things. You wish the person in the basket would be like, go ahead and go in front of me. No, they make you wait. I'm sorry. I let people go in front of me if I got a big thing. All right. Um, Listen, Jesus wants to make himself known to every man, every woman, and every child that is breathing on this earth right now. We get to be a part of that. Last one is preferences. We need to get rid of our preferences. We need to die to ourselves. Right? I don't prefer to speak to people in public. It's my biggest fear. Now, I know this is flipping the pendulum all the way to the other side, but according to Scripture, Jesus didn't prefer to die on a cross. Because when he was praying in the garden and he asked the Lord, Lord, if there's another way, if there's another way, please allow this cup to pass from me. 
there wasn't another way. And Jesus didn't prefer to get slaughtered on a cross. He didn't prefer to get whipped. He didn't prefer to be scourged by the cat of nine tails. He didn't prefer any of that. And yet he did it. And we need to die to our preferences. We need to die to what we don't like and what we're not comfortable with and allow God to increase the value of the lost in our lives. Are you with me? When we say things like, it's not how I'm built, you know, I'm just not built that way. Well, listen, do we recognize how Jesus was built? Jesus was built to rule and reign in heavenly places. And yet he lowered himself to the place of a servant. He lowered himself to the place of a servant. He died to himself. He let go of all of his kingdom preferences and said, here I am, Lord. Use me as you will. Let that be our hearts as a church today. Let that be our hearts, right? John 10, 10. Listen to this. I'm going to end with this. The, the thief comes to steal to kill and to destroy. And Jesus says, I came that they may have life and life abundantly. And I'm telling you, the Lord not only wants to recover what's been lost, he wants to recover what's been stolen. Jesus paid the price on the cross. And guess what? His father wants what he paid for. Our father wants what he paid for. I mean, you go buy something and you don't get it, you're going to be pretty upset. The father paid with his son's blood. He wants what he paid for. Now, I've, I've told this story in other places, and if I, if I cry during the story, please forgive me. I don't want, I'm not trying to provoke emotion. I'm just trying to give it an illustration. Now, Vanessa and I, we've, we've lost, how many of you have ever lost a kid? <laughs> like in a store or something like that. We, we lost a son one time. We, we, had this, we had this outreach at our church. It was, a, it was an art show, and, and hundreds of people come through the church, and all this stuff was happening. And at the end of the art show, we couldn't find our son. He was, I don't know, about 10 years old at the time, and, like, we began to freak out, like, freak, freak out. Like, we couldn't find him anywhere, anywhere. We were, like, calling people, did you see Ezekiel? We can't find him. Do you know where he's at? Right? And Vanessa, like, she's in our house, like, crying, like, wailing, crying. Now, this may not seem like a normal reaction if you just, like, lost your kid. But the reason why it was a little more crucial for us is because we've had a kid stolen. So our, our first son, uh, when we were early married, he was abducted. And he was flown from California to Maryland. And we couldn't find him for six weeks. And so uh, uh, the story behind it is, is Vanessa had our oldest son before we were married. And so he was abducted by his biological father. And for us, like, it was, this was a man who never had him who wasn't responsible for him so for him to take him and t yeah I mean this is our son was stolen now if you've ever had a stun stolen stolen like it's the most desperate place you've ever been to not know where your son's at to not know if he's cared for to not know if he's alive to not know if he's healthy like I mean it was trust me by the by the grace of God and his miracles we got our son back after six weeks but listen 
when you're in that desperate place, you will do anything. Like, I'm telling you, I was, like, pretty fresh out of the Marine Corps. I was ready to kill and destroy for my son. I was ready to ravage anything I needed to do. I was ready to call the homies. I was ready to call. I mean, it was, it was, we were ready to do anything to get my son back. And I'm not trying to tap into that flesh in us. What I'm trying to say is when God wants to retrieve that which has been stolen, he is going to go to any means to get it done. And that any means was his son, Jesus. There's a worship song. You guys probably know that Hillsong put out, and it says, break my heart for what breaks yours. And that's the lost. And we as a church, as we are being equipped for the works of service, and we're being equipped for the things that God has called us to, may we never get lose sight of not what he's called us to, of those he's called us to. Because when God calls us to a place, he will always call us to a people. And when he's called us to a people, it's not only to the churched, it's to the churched and the sinner alike. And when he's, when he's given us responsibility, it's not only to those of, of us who are in the crowd, it's those of us who we're trying to get into the crowd, right? Someone once said that the church is the only organization in the world that exists for its non-members. Let that be so for our church. Let that be so for grace and love. Let it be so for Restoration LA. May we never be comfortable with what the Lord has given us. May we always look out to who he's called us to. Could, would you guys mind standing with me? I would really, I, I really have, have seen like the Lord just breaking shackles, breaking, tearing off muzzles, really creating spiritual mouthpieces in this room so that Jesus can be proclaimed not only here in this region, but beyond to the nations. So if that's you, just, just come forward. I would love to pray for you. I'm sure there'll be opportunity to pray for other people for any other thing, but I really just think this thing that Jesus is wanting to cultivate in grace and love is just say, you know what? We have something precious here to offer the world. Grace and love church cannot be the best kept secret in Montebello. Thank you for listening to the Grace and Love podcast. We hope you are blessed by this message. If you have a prayer request, we would love to hear from you. Please feel free to contact us. And if you're in the LA area, we would love to meet you. We have services Sundays at 2 p.m. and Fridays at 8 p.m. We are located at 1900 Medford Street, Montebello, California, 90640. Thanks again, and God bless you.